0: Amen, good morning. Thanks, Pastor Chase, for that. Let me invite Mm -hmm. you, if you have a Bible, to uh, open it up to Matthew chapter 7. If this is not your first Sunday with us, then you probably know we're finishing up uh, the last few weeks of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And if you are new with us, that's what we're doing. Uh, We've been walking through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is one sermon that Jesus gave, uh, potentially the most famous sermon in human history. Uh, And uh, it's from the very, the lips and the heart of Christ himself. Uh, So it's unbelievably important. It's unbelievably uh, helpful for us. And he's finishing up, uh, and the way he finishes this sermon, uh, which will be somewhat of the topic today... And next week is he kind of turns to a little bit uh, of, a, of a kind of a of, of feeling of, of, of somberness or sobriety, knowing that there's some difficult things coming, uh, really knowing that there are some imposters coming uh, that are going to claim that they speak for God, that are going to claim that they uh, speak the gospel, and they're going to deceive a lot of people. And, and so you sense a, a heaviness in Jesus's heart uh, when he starts towards the end of his sermon, giving out some warnings uh, or some things for us. To beware of, uh, And I want to make this case uh, that if Jesus was, was, I don't know if nervous is the right word, but if he was cautioning his listeners that day uh, against what he's going to say are false prophets, false teaching, a false gospel, uh, and he was concerned that many people that knew him, that had heard him in person, that had touched him, that had smelled him, that had spent time with him and knew him very well, uh, if he was concerned that some of them might be led astray, don't you think it's safe to say that he would have a, a fairly healthy amount of concern for us today? Uh, I, I want us to feel some of the the weight and the concern that Jesus has uh, as he begins to talk about fakes and frauds and false uh, gospels that are coming because there is a lot at stake. Uh, there, there's a lot at stake if we uh, follow uh, a false teacher, a false gospel, a false prophet. Have you ever been uh, cheated and, and like bought into something that was false? I'm not gonna give you the whole story some of y'all just like you like you your head your hand goes up your head goes down filled with shame I'm not gonna give you the whole story uh, because uh, it's uh, still painful to me um, but I got just completely bamboozled uh, about a year and a half ago I was trying to buy this item online and made a down payment and they were supposed to deliver it to the house at four o'clock one afternoon and I'm out there literally standing outside waiting for the truck to come up looking at my watch it's not here 15 minutes I call they don't answer 20 minutes I email they don't answer an hour later I realize I have been absolutely scammed my money is gone I don't have anything for it I have been deceived I've been lied to I have been faked out and I was incredibly frustrated incredibly angry uh, poorer than I was to begin with and I didn't have anything to show for it literally have you ever been scammed by something or someone where you were kind of led to believe one thing was happening and so you bought in only to realize that that was not the case. Uh, It was a fake. It was a fraud. It was something that was false. Uh, You might've heard this name before, uh, but there was a man named George Parker, uh, who is uh, to this day, one of the biggest scam artists uh, that uh, the United States has uh, seen. This is like early 1900s is when he was doing his scam before uh, like Craigslist was on the scene, giving people a lot of ability uh, to scam. And what he did is he convinced people that he owned the Brooklyn Bridge Uh, and so he would concoct these deals where he would literally sell the Brooklyn Bridge to people although he didn't own it have you ever heard the phrase uh, if you if you kind of sense that someone is gullible you'll say oh I'll, I'll sell you a bridge too have you ever heard that none of you it's a thing, it's a phrase, go, go Google it. Uh, it came from that idea. So these people, and a lot of times he was he was praying off of immigrants that are just arriving uh, to New York and he would convince them and had a lot of paperwork and title work to show, oh, I own the Brooklyn Bridge and for a very large sum, you can buy the Brooklyn Bridge. And so a few people actually fell for this and normally they wouldn't find out that they had been scammed until they start setting up their toll booth on the Brooklyn Bridge. Because they're like, this is going to be incredible. I'm going to be so rich. I'm going to set up my toll bridge. And they set up their toll bridge. And the authorities come like, what are you doing? Like, oh, we own the Brooklyn Bridge. Like, no, you don't. (laughs) You don't. Uh, And just, just completely bamboozled. They had built their whole life around something and kind of their future prospects around something that was just absolutely not true. Could you imagine? The feeling that, and Jesus is going to say this, we're going to get into it next week. The unbelievable feeling of hurt, betrayal, grief when some people get to the end and they find out they have believed a false gospel. They've listened to a false prophet. They have bought into a false Jesus and their whole life is just torn out from underneath them. Jesus does not want that to happen. So he finishes his sermon turning kind of some grave attention which I would say is something that we desperately need to hear and to consider in our culture where there are so many rampant places to find false doctrine of false teaching that we need to heed Jesus's words. And you know, this, I don't need to remind you what Jesus says is true always. And what Jesus says is loving. And so what he says is both true, and if we will heed it and listen to it and learn from it, uh, it will lead us into goodness. Um, So many of us, well, I'll save that for later. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. If you're in Matthew chapter 7, just get me excited. Tell me, ready? Ready? Oh, we're ready. Here we go. Matthew chapter seven, the very lips of Jesus speak these words as he's preaching to his disciples, much like us, we're followers of Jesus. And so this is his uh, word for us. Beware. This is verse 15 through 20. Jesus says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. He says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree, Jesus says, bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and thus you will recognize them by their fruits normally valuable things are counterfeited. Uh, If something is worth having, it's worth counterfeiting. Uh, That's why a lot of people don't get into the business of counterfeiting uh, pennies and nickels and dimes because it's not worth their time. They go for something bigger. If there's a a big valuable piece of artwork, the more valuable it is, the more uh, chance that it is that there's a, a fraud, a fake out there that's counterfeiting it. And let's just put this on the table because it's absolutely true. There is nothing more valuable than Jesus Christ and his gospel. And if we believe that, then you have to assume that it is going to be counterfeited that's what Jesus is saying just beware because some counterfeits are going to come in uh, and they're going to use the same language they're going to use some buzzwords to try to get people uh, to buy into a, a a false gospel what Jesus says is beware of false prophets Jesus saw that it was coming, and it happened in Jesus's time. Some of the people that heard that sermon that day uh, would encounter false prophets that say that they spoke for Jesus, um, but they would lead people astray. And that has been the story uh, of Satan working in the world since the beginning, Um, that where God creates and does something powerful and, and, and has something valuable, Satan tries to counterfeit it satan tries to come in and what a counterfeit is is it tries to get so many things on the surface exactly the same as the real deal so you don't notice what's going on so we don't recognize it and i just it's helpful for us to believe that satan is a master counterfeiter and that satan is a master at trying to defraud um, god's people so um uh if if And if you're a Christian and if you believe the Bible, then we have to believe in in Satan and in demons and in evil forces that are trying actively to work against the work of God. There's two opposing forces, darkness and light, good and evil. And how Satan works so many times is through counterfeits uh, and through frauds. Uh, And this is why I believe Jesus is so concerned that we pay attention. Because it's not just if you buy into a false prophet, it's 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 the cost and what you give up the opportunity cost, so to speak, of doing that. Because if Satan succeeds at selling us a false gospel, he also succeeds at keeping us from the true gospel. So there's a lot at stake in this life, experiencing the fullness of what God has for us, and obviously for all of eternity that we get this right, because if, if he succeeds in, uh, in selling us a false gospel, not only has that caused some damage, but we have missed the true gospel. And so I just want to submit to you, and I'm sure you would agree with me, if this was a concern of Jesus 2,000 years ago, and if he were to be here this morning preaching, I think you could feel some, some of the weight and the concern on his heart for us to beware. So what does Jesus teach? We're going to walk through this and just uh, kind of pull out some of the things that Jesus is truly teaching us this morning. Number one, he just says, beware of false prophets. Everybody say, beware. Beware beware that's a that's a verb that's something that we're supposed to do and and very literally it means to be on guard to be alert to assume that it's out there and to look for and to try to find and look for false prophets that's what he says beware and and if we're unaware normally that's the people that kind of get just uh, get get off off track with false prophets very quickly because we don't assume that they're there right Uh, so beware okay Books that you read, sermons that you listen to, Instagram folks that you follow, clips that you watch, just beware that you're not stepping into a spiritually neutral place, that we, we need to heed what Jesus says and be Beware, be on guard, be alert. Um, Do y'all remember in Acts, the church in Berea? um, Many of y'all know what they were known for. They're not known for much because there's not much uh, in the Bible about them. Uh, But Paul showed up one day and he's preaching to the Bereans, and the Bereans listened to what he said and they were kind of wary uh, because he was making some stout claims. So, what they did is they went home every night after the the services, the revival meetings, so to speak, and they opened up their Bible and it says that they searched in the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. And lo and behold, like, oh, it is true. What Paul is saying is coming from the scriptures. They had this kind of uh, skepticism, so to speak, where they were not just going to take a preacher at face value. They were going to lay it over the word of God to see if it was true. Jesus says, uh, beware of false prophets. Second thing you need to know is, and this is so basic, but we forget it often, uh, is that false prophets uh, attempt to deceive, okay? Okay. How many of y'all right now are deceived? Like, that's a trick question, right? Like, well, no, I can't raise my hand because if I raise my hand, then I would recognize that I'm deceived and then I wouldn't be deceived anymore right? It's like, how many of you are humble? It's like, if you raise your hand, you're kind of disqualified, right? It's like, well, the purpose of false prophets is for us not to know what's going on and for us to be completely deceived. Uh, If I wanted to get into the counterfeit money business, and because this is like on the internet and on record, let me say publicly, I'm not. (laughs) I have no intentions of counterfeiting money. But if I were to do that, let's say I just watched catch me if you can. And I get super excited. I'm like, I could do that. This is what my goal would be is to produce a counterfeit that nobody recognizes, right? Isn't that the purpose of a counterfeit? It's so that nobody knows what's going on. And you take the money, you think it's real, you walk away. The purpose of false prophets is to deceive people. And so there are spiritual leaders, there are spiritual forces in the world that their goal is to deceive people so that they don't even know what's going on. Jesus says, beware, and this is how he, uh, how he talks about false prophets. He says they are like, like wolves in sheep's clothing, and most people think that Jesus is, is kind of latching on to an already existent uh, cultural idea. Now, has anybody read Aesop's Fables? Um, very interesting book. This was written six centuries BC. uh, And in one of Aesop's fables, uh, Aesop talks about uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. So this would already be somewhat culturally accessible as an idea. So Jesus latches onto that idea and says like, this is how, 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 how deception works. If somebody wants to uh, deceive folks into believing that they, they, they think they're buying into Jesus and the gospel, but they're not. They're like a wolf that has wrapped himself up in sheep's clothing. It's really an interesting uh, visual that Jesus gives us, uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing. And the whole purpose of if you're a wolf and you're trying to get into a herd of sheep, then your goal is to deceive them, is to put on sheep wool, to rub yourself down with sheep poop so that you look like a sheep, so that you smell like a sheep, so that you walk like a sheep, so that the sheep won't recognize you. Uh, Many, many false prophets, they try to use language and throw out terms and go to places is where they just kind of fit in so that they won't be recognized for who they are. But there, and there's, there's, there's two really kinds of people that like to hang out with sheep, shepherds and wolves. And can we agree, they have different agendas. <laughs> shepherds love to be around sheep, they love sheep. All right, they, they're, they're responsible for sheep. They, they care for the sheep. They protect the sheep. Wolves also like sheep, but for very different reasons. And so they put on sheep's clothing and they try to get close so that they can, what Jesus says, uh, d- devour them. They, they're like ravenous wolves that they're hungry and they're out to uh, make money or make power uh, off of deception. Beware, Jesus says, of false prophets. They come in and they try to deceive and their end goal is to Destroy is to steal and destroy. What's the end goal of a literal wolf that gets into a sheep pen? To eat the sheep and to get full. What's the end goal of a false prophet? To get in and to devour and to destroy and to steal from the sheep. Jesus says, ravenous. Everybody say ravenous. That's a good word. We should use that more. Some of you like after after a long Sunday, it might just feel ravenous. I need to go to uh, need to go to roses and get that figured out. He says like a false prophet is like a ravenous wolf, and that means hungry or greedy, or they 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 have this insatiable desire for something. Uh, most false prophets and false teachers are driven by a ravenous desire for money and for fame and for power, and so they will you they will twist and deceive uh, folks so that they might be fed because the end goal is not to uh, devour the sheep. The end goal is for them to have their selves filled. False prophets. Um, they prey on people. They're after money. They're after fame. They're after influence. And normally they will, uh, they, they will use terms. They will, they will say Jesus. They will uh, read from the Bible because like rewind all the way back to the beginning isn't that the tactic that Satan used? He quoted the scriptures. He just twisted a few things here and there. And so they will use words that make you kind of feel comfortable. Oh, they said faith. They're they talking about uh, they're, they're talking about uh, blessing. They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about the Bible. And, and, and so how in the world are we going to find out and to sort through who is real and who is not? They, they tend to, Jesus says, uh, tickle your ears or say things that you like to hear. And you can look in our country, in our culture, uh, the biggest prophets that are false prophets right now that are preaching a false gospel are saying, things that people just absolutely love to hear. And you need to be of a preacher or a pastor or a speaker that will never say things that are unpopular, that will never talk about repentance, that will never talk about sin, that will only say things as Jesus says that uh, tickle the ears, that get people excited. You need to be so how does Jesus say that we are supposed to be on guard, to beware, and to look out? Uh, Jesus says very clearly to look at the fruit, okay? Look at the fruit. He doesn't say, well, look at their attitude and how they carry themselves, right? Because some false teachers are very winsome, very likable. They tuck their shirts in. Their teeth are pearly white. Their hair looks great. They, they draw you, in. they're nice. They're big smile. Like, he doesn't say look for the ones that are angry and trying to bite people, right? He, he, he doesn't use that as the qualification. He doesn't even say, look for the ones who, who have power and who, who don't have power. Okay, he doesn't say, look for those who are effectual, because you're going to see, you, this reaches all the way back to Exodus, uh, when Moses and, and, and when he's performing miracles in Egypt, um, that the evil leaders of the day were just as powerful as Moses. They they had legitimate spiritual power. And so even false prophets oftentimes are able to do some miraculous things because they carry power with them. Don't confuse any power with good power. So he doesn't say look for uh, somebody that, that has a bad attitude. He doesn't say look for someone that has no power. What he says is look at their fruit. Look at their fruit. He says, you're going to recognize them by their fruit or what their lives and their ministries produce. So let's take a few moments and talk about what Jesus means when he talks about fruit. Um, uh, we moved houses in Midland about four years ago, I believe. Uh, And when we moved in, it was still a little bit early in the spring. Uh, And uh, so I was kind of walking around uh, the house and there were some trees uh, at at the house that we had bought. In the backyard, there was a tree that looked to me, I, I, I thought that I knew what kind of tree it was, but I wasn't 100%. And so I told the kids like, let's just wait and see what kind of fruit this thing throws off, because then we'll know for sure right? A few months later, this thing starts producing some mulberries, which means we had a apple tree. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Because why? Mulberry trees produce mulberries. And the next year, we didn't walk out and say, I wonder what kind of fruit we're going to get this year. It's like, no, just wait. Just wait, and once you wait, if it produces fruit, you know with 100 percent certainty what type of tree you have. We had three trees in the front yard, uh, and I knew they were. They, they looked at least all the same. Uh, they looked to me like pecan trees. And I'm not an arborist. I'm not an expert, but I. I've seen some pecan trees before, um, but one of them just looked very pitiful. My wife says it looks like a Halloween tree, uh, just dead. Uh, just does, It did not look good, and I thought, you know what? Let's give it some time uh, because I want to see if it's still healthy, if it still has some life, if it can still produce some pecans. Uh, four years have gone by. We've given it plenty of time. I wanted to be patient, right? This is Midland. You don't just go cutting down trees willy-nilly, right? It's like I want to be sure. The other ones they produce like five-gallon buckets of pecans every year. This one is dead, dead, dead. And so this year, sometime, when I get some time, I'm getting the chainsaw out and I'm gonna go cut the tree down. Why? Because it's dead. How do I know? No fruit. Like it's just it's just a true principle. And Jesus says, look at the fruit. So you're going to see in a moment. In fact, I'll go ahead and get get you to turn to two different places. Um, get in your Bibles to John 15 and to Galatians 5, and I'll be there uh, in just a moment. Or you can just follow along on the screen here. When he's talking about beware of false teachers, beware of false prophets, you'll know them by their fruit. He's going to say over time, you're going to be able to tell what their lives and their ministry produce. So if you are trying to heed what Jesus is telling us to heed, then you need to think about who you're listening to and who you're watching and over time what their lives and ministries are producing. Are they truly producing a, a love for God? <laughs> how basic that is, but how telling that is over time. If people follow certain influences, certain preachers, are they growing in love for God or just love for their leader? Are they growing in love for Christ or just love for themselves? It's very, very telling. What, what is their chief end? It is the chief end of someone's ministry and teaching to glorify God or to get things from God, those are very different. Over time, you can see the difference. Are they building over time confidence in Christ or confidence in our ability to change or confidence in ourselves? Those are very, very different. That's a watershed that those two things end in very, very different places. Uh, do they encourage repentance of sin? Do they even talk about sin? If, if, if they go a long time without talking about sin, that's a red flag. Amen. Like some of these people, if they, if Jesus preached what they preached, he would have never been crucified. Nobody ever would have been upset because Jesus gets down into the nitty gritty. So what do they talk about with sin? Do they minimize it? Do they celebrate it? Or do they call people to repent of it? Do they love God's word? Is there constantly being, are we being driven back to God's word, not to just uh, the latest thing in pop culture, which they're trying to use as their power? Is there a growth in humility in their lives, and their ministries, or is it pride? Do they elevate Jesus or themselves? Ultimately, who is made to be the hero? Jesus says, look at the fruit, look at their fruit, and you will be able to tell what kind of tree they are. So I want to I examine for a moment John 15 and Galatians 5, which John 15 is Jesus talking about uh, his desire for us to be fruitful. And then Galatians 5 walks us through what's called the fruit of the Spirit. Because as, as Jesus said in his sermon, fruit will eventually weed out the false prophets, okay? He says, look at the fruit, but Here's the side note for you to keep in your mind as we walk through this. Not only does fruit weed out false prophets, um, but fruit also reveals false converts. Y'all with me? This is important okay? And I want to be incredibly clear and try to be incredibly gracious as we walk through this um, because there's kind of a danger in becoming the false prophet police where 100% of your energy is trying to assess everyone else and we don't turn some of that inward. Uh, And so, like, it needs to be a a both and um, that, like, if you look at fruit, uh, it's going to eventually weed out the false prophets, but eventually you can look through this and be like, I don't have any of that in my life. Like I declared something with my mouth, but there has been no fruit in my life to prove what Jesus is doing. And so I want to humbly put both of those before you as we walk through this. And I'll read from Paul before we jump in. In 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, Paul says this to Christians. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? He says, you need to examine yourselves. Now, does does fruit make you a Christian? No. Repentance and faith in Jesus makes you a Christian, but over time, fruit proves that you have truly been converted. That's one of my favorite words to describe what happens when somebody moves from being not a Christian to a Christian. I mean, there's so many metaphors in the Bible. Some of it's, uh, they've been adopted. We've been saved. But I I love the word converted uh, because it very literally means what? Changed. Like, it's not just something we declare with our mouth. It's when Jesus invades our heart with the Holy Spirit and changes us where we're not the same and we produce fruit. Before we jump in, one word of warning um, that if we kind of read through these and, and you have a, a humble reaction, an honest reaction, you say, you know what, I I, I actually don't see much of the, the fruit of change in my life. Here's there's there's one thing you should not do and one thing you should do. Okay? If I walk out in my front yard and I look at my dead tree and I'm like, I'm so frustrated, it's dead, there's no fruit. Uh, I would not run in the house, grab an orange. Grab a banana, grab a grapefruit and go out there and just shove them in the branches. Like find the little nooks and put them in like, okay, done. Fix the problem, right? No, you don't just like try to produce fruit. That's not the problem. The fruit reveals that there's something wrong with the tree, that its roots are dead. So we go down, we cut it, we get a new tree. So if you recognize, here, here's the temptation of a lot of people. You, you, you ask some honest questions of examination to see like, are you truly a Christian? Do you truly have the the fruit of the spirit in your life? And if you say no, then we have a temptation. Well, I've got to go do these things. I've got to go produce love. I've got to go produce peace. Like, no, no, no. What you need is Jesus. And Jesus removes our heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh, replants the tree, so to speak, so that it bears fruit. Y'all with me? Okay. John 15, Jesus says this. Just a little bit of a, a, a of some of his thoughts on fruitfulness. Jesus says, "I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me—that means a Christian that's been grafted in—every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes." So that it may bear more fruit. That's a sermon for another day. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Fast forward to verse eight. Jesus says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. So Galatians five, Paul lines out what he calls the fruit of the spirit. When someone is truly converted, repentance and faith in Christ, Holy spirit comes in. And then over time, the fruit proves of a conversion by faith so let's use the fruit that Paul gives us to think about those two things: teachers and prophets and, and people that we 're listening to and being influenced by and our own lives. Galatians 5:22 Paul says, "But the fruit or what over time, the work of the Spirit does in our hearts to prove that we have truly been converted, but the fruit of the spirit is love first. Everybody say, love, love." <laughs> Okay, when I ask the question of people, are you, are you truly a Christian? Uh, like, there, there's so many different answers that you get. Well, I did this when I was young, and I said this, and I was baptized here. And it's like, well, okay, well, here's the long term. Like, are you growing in your love for Jesus Christ? Like, what an incredible question to ask, because if that's not the case, big problem. Like, if you're not growing in your love and affection for God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit—something is off because that is the like the, the first of the fruit. Love. What what do you love? What love is growing in you? Uh, did you know Satan was a very good theologian? Better than you, better than I has more knowledge. Could probably quote much more of the scriptures than we do. But he does not love God. Okay. Love makes a big difference. Love. The fruit of the spirit is love. Second, joy. Everybody say joy. (laughs) Now, say it like you mean it. You're like joy, I guess. Smile and then say it when you're smiling. It's so much funner. Joy, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna chase this one down for a minute because I have spent a lot of time the last few weeks kind of fixated and stuck on this idea of joy because I think uh, this is just a confession of mine. I, I think I, I'm kind of missing it a little bit on truly calling you into such an incredibly deep sense of joy because that's like at the epicenter of Christianity, and sometimes we treat it as it's like a second or like, that's, 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 joy. that's what we've been called into, joy. And if we're not joyful, what in the world? We're missing the point of creation. Have you ever heard of the Westminster Catechism? If you grew up Presbyterian, you just got really excited okay, uh, a, a couple hundred years ago, uh, they, they wanted to pull together and to create wh- what's called a catechism, which is like uh, a list of, uh, of theological beliefs that we believe about God that you get uh, especially new believers and kids to recite because it teaches them the faith. And and what they did is they gathered uh, about 150 people. Puritans, okay? And if you know much about church history, you don't mess around with the Puritans. uh, Because the Puritans were just some of the most Bible believing, Jesus loving, unbelievable, like John Bunyan, John Owen, anybody that loved Jesus in the 16th century, 17th century, and was named John, they're probably a Puritan, okay? And they pull 150 of these scholars, theologians, pastors, and they spent five years with some of the most godly hearts and minds, probably on the planet, trying to develop the catechism. And after all of that effort, the number one thing they put on the list is, this is the question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, Presbyterians, help me out to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's at the very center. And so Piper kind of latched onto that, and he's rephrased it a little bit. I think it's still accurate. He says, humanity, like you exist to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Like joy is at the epicenter of what Jesus is trying to do. Let's not miss that. I want to make that such a, a, a focal point that Jesus is actually after our joy. And you can't find it anywhere else. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So what's, how's your joy? Like your, Not happiness in circumstances, but deep, abiding joy. That's what the Holy Spirit produces in those who belong to him. Love, joy, peace. Everybody say peace. peace. Now you can say that with a smile like joy, or you can say that with like a calm, peaceful feeling. Peace, shalom. That's, that means the absence of turmoil, that means the absence of anxiety, that means the absence of depression, that means all the things that we face yet we hate, uh, the Holy Spirit is at work in producing in us peace. Primarily, first and foremost, peace with God, but then it spills out peace in your marriage, peace with your kids, peace with your coworkers, peace inside your own heart. Peace is something that God is after. In fact, that describes all of creation before sin marred everything. Just, just shalom, peace, love, joy, peace, patience. Everybody say patience. The Holy Spirit produces patience. Patience with yourself, patience with others. Why? Because over time we get to become like God. The Holy Spirit's making us into the image of God. And how patient has God been with you? Patient. He produces patience. Patience in us, kindness. Over time, the Holy Spirit turns us into kind people, goodness. He, he makes us into these vessels like him, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And gentleness is not the same thing as weakness, okay? Gentleness is, is, is a controlled strength. It's, the Holy Spirit produces goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control control of our flesh, control of our sexual desires, control of our uh, physical appetites, control of our anger. uh, uh, He says, against such things, there is no law. What's the point? Jesus says, over time, you can tell what's going on in the root, so to speak, by the fruit. That's how you're going to weed out false prophets is to look at their fruit that's how you're truly gonna get down to see what's taking place in your heart over time. Uh, what is happening in your soul is the Holy Spirit producing these things. And um, it's, it's helpful to know as, as we close that what Jesus has come to do, it, he, he didn't come looking around for fruitful people, okay? He came looking around for broken, sinful people. And he came with an invitation that the gospel changes us. That if we respond to Jesus by faith, we bring all of our sin to him, we repent, we turn from it. we put our faith in Jesus as a Savior, not in ourselves or anyone else as a Savior, that he forgives, he redeems, he adopts, he converts, he, he, he sends the Holy Spirit as the earnest of our inheritance to reside in us forever and to over time produce the fruit that all of us long for. Who on this list is like, no, I don't want that. Like, there's nothing on the list that you don't want. Everything you truly want is on the list. Why? Because that's the life we were designed for, that sin has stolen, that Jesus restores. If you buy into a false gospel, you miss the real gospel. Only the real gospel of Jesus Christ and only the true Holy Spirit can produce these things in our lives. Don't be deceived. Jesus is a savior Jesus is righteous, we're not. Jesus is savior, we're sinner. But when we repent, we believe he forgives and he changes. I invite you to bow your head, close your eyes. and As we, as we sing and even as I pray, I don't think we should breeze past an honest examination of our hearts to see if we're truly in Christ. And so if that's you, maybe you've looked and like, I'm really not growing in my love for Jesus. I don't have a deep sense of his peace that's growing. Don't try to manufacture those things. Those are, ju- those are just simply symptoms so that we recognize we need Jesus. Jesus, we we need you, the only true God, the genuine savior of the world. I pray that you might give us a true heart to, to discern The frauds from the real. And I pray that you might just allow us to beware of false prophets, not so that we can just simply weed them out, but so we can weed them out and truly enjoy your presence and your promises that we have in Christ. Father, in these next few moments, I pray that we would lift our voices, that we would lift our hands, and that we would worship a God who's producing fruit in us. And over time, who is making us like Jesus. God, I, I, I just pray that as we glorify you, that we truly find joy in you. And as the psalmist said, what joy we have even in your presence. In your presence, God, that we have together right now, there is a fullness of joy. So fill us with joy as we glorify your name. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.